Oh, Daniel, you are gonna love this place. It's shaped like a rocket ship. They have the best milkshakes. What's with all the security? It's just that good. All right, how do you order? You press this button here. We'll, we'll have three hamburgers. I want a hot dog. And an order of chili onion rings. That's not on the menu. What menu? The only thing on the menu is low oxygen. I'm not on a diet. How many milkshakes do you want? I want a milkshake. All right, we'll have seven milkshakes and a napkin. Roger that. Lunch in T minus five. What number are we? Four, three, two, one. Earth? Below us? Drifting. Falling. Floating. Weightless. Calling. Calling. Home! This is ground control to Major Tom. Your burgers are ready. I wanted a hot dog! Will the boys make it out of this cosmic culinary conundrum? Will Greg ever get his hamburger? I wanted a hot dog! Stay tuned after the theme song for this month's episode, Starbroiled Burgers, or another episode that's excessively long. And Ziggy played the guitar. Greetings! And welcome! And aloha and shalom and salam. Hola, amigos and amigas. That only means one thing. In this country. <laughs> you could say hola very angrily. <laughs> hola! Hola! <laughs> That's a question. Hola? Hola? Well, we're back again. Episode, I want to say 17 yeah. of LA Meekly, the podcast. The podcast. Not the popular stage show. No affiliation. No, no, they did. It. It's spelled meekly a different way. Yeah. yeah. With a W. <laughs> <laughs> and they keep hankering on that we're infringing on the yeah. copyright or we whatever. They keep trying to serve us. Yeah, I don't, I don't get served. Yeah, I serve. Yeah. So we're going to start out our show with a slice of humble pie with a side of crow. <laughs> we got our first fan letter. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. And of course, it pointed out that we <laughs> were wrong about something. Just one thing, though. Just one thing. They didn't catch all the uh, insufficient information that we give. Yeah. yeah. So we got an email stating that a story that we uh, made a big deal about. Yeah, we did on, <laughs> on, on another on, podcast. On uh, Count em Two podcasts. Yes. About Mr. Magoo. Suing, no, 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 no. Fields suing the suing UPA yeah, and the, the people who created Mr. Magoo. The true story is Mr. Magoo, the cartoon character, <laughs> sued WC Fields. That's the that's the real fact. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we we had claimed that uh, WC Fields had sued UPA for for um, creating Mr. Magoo in the likeness of WC Fields. When actually our our I wouldn't call him a fan, but our, our listener pointed out that WC Fields had died actually three years before Mr. Magoo was put out. Yeah. So it's not possible. How could that happen? We tried to we tried desperately for mm-hmm. a month to not look like idiots to yes. prove him wrong. Couldn't find it. This and I've, got, I've got crow feathers sticking out of my teeth. That was a particular stressful episode because we had to prepare to go on another podcast. Yeah. So uh, so for, please forgive us. Yes, it'll, it'll never happen again. But, oh. And on this episode, we're going to talk about how Griffith J. Griffith got in a fight with Abraham Lincoln <laughs> <laughs> and ended up inspiring Elmer Fudd. So, you ever wonder where that top hat came from? <laughs> we were wrong about that. Thank you to Bruno. Bruno. What's his name? It is flattering that he took the time to actually, one, listen, and then type things with... Yeah. Oh, he added a wonderful note for us to uh, do better research, which yeah. is really sweet. Still <laughs> our biggest fan. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about this episode, please. Forward, ever onward. Mm-hmm. 
Was that the As motto of the Donner Party? Yeah. <laughs> Forward ever, we're hungry. <laughs> so on this episode, we're going to be talking about Googie architecture. Did you want to say it? Go ahead, say it. Let's just say it. Googie architecture. Go ahead, say it. You were going to say something really powerful. Googie architecture. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus. Harold Christ. <laughs> I have a, an idea of California in the 50s and 60s that I'm always trying to put together, and a big part of it is googie architecture and modern california design so yeah. i'm very happy to be talking in this episode about some of that did mr magoo sue googie for stealing his name no it, uh, i don't know if you understand this but magoo's a fictional character who's animated then how did he sue wc fields <laughs> magoogie architecture well it turns out wc fields is actually also a fictional character <laughs> who's been dead for three years now <laughs> <laughs> he's always perpetually dead three years ago every three years every three years he dies why don't you explain to me and the listener what sums up a googie all right so greg and bruno so you want to know how to make a googie. So you come to me on the day of my daughter's architecture design class, and you want to know how to make a magoogie. Googie. Yes. We've already said it at least 40 times. I really hate saying it. I, I hope you understand how a much A lot I of people don't like it. Yeah. You'll hear why. Okay. So it's pronounced Google, you say? It's pronounced shut up and stop interrupting us, we say. Mm -hmm. That's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Googie is an architecture style. If you want... To instant, like you were saying, if you want to instantly picture it in your head, think just think of this, the Jetsons. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's what Googie is. Yep, two dimensional lines on paper, <laughs> driven by a character named Elroy and Jane and Jane. his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Some people said that the Googie style was so prominent in LA that the Jetsons wasn't creating like some futuristic vision of the future. They were just copying what LA looked like. I've always felt similar yeah. to that. Flying cars. Flying cars. Robot uh, maids. Cloud City. Getting sucked into treadmills. So uh, the reason... <laughs> anything else? <laughs> I mean, we can go all day, but... Um. So the reason it was so widespread here is because it was born here and partly in Orange County. Uh, bleep that oh. out. <laughs> oh, he's about Orange County. <laughs> it was made by locally based architects like John Lautner, mm -hmm. Louis Armey, Eldon Davis, Martin Stern Jr., Pat DeRosa, Douglas Honnold, Harry Harrison, George Harrison, <laughs> Stanley Meston, and Wayne McAllister, a few of whom we'll be talking about today. For a better idea of exactly what constitutes Googie, here's a few trademarks. The Boomerang. Yes. That Australian weapon. <laughs> For some reason, it was the most popular symbol in the 50s. It was so popular that instead of Googie, the whole style was almost called Boomerang Modern because it showed motion and it was going in a certain direction. In doing so, it gave off the sense of energy, which is such a big part of the 50s imagination. It gave like the sense of something scrunching up before it like released and shot up into yeah. the into space. The stars, the heavens, Greg. It's also the, the shape and the roundness and the design of the boomerang. Yeah, you can kind of see it in a lot of different uh, yeah. like uh, roofs and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, my house is made of boomerang. What are you trying to say? <laughs> it's a boomerang wallpaper. You ring the doorbell in a didgeridoo place. <laughs> Another trademark, the dingbat. I'm no, not wait. talking about you. <laughs> or that face you're making. <laughs> it's the thing that looks like an asterisk. Okay, yeah. It, yeah it is that called a dingbat? It's called a dingbat. It, it looks kind of like an atom also, which was yeah. on the top of everybody's minds in mm -hmm. the 50s since everybody was trying traumatized by how World War II ended for the next uh, forever. Yeah. So it represented an explosion of energy. It also looks like a star and it feeds into that whole outer space imagery of, of all this. Yeah. That was a huge part of Googie. Another thing, free forms were a big part of it. Things that were shaped like amoebas and yeah. kidneys and like an artist's palette. Yeah. You know, like Van Gogh. Starry amoeba. 
Starry, starry, boomerang. Here's my favorite aspect of Googie, the hyperbolic paraboloid. He just like saying <laughs> it. That's why it's my favorite. It's a building that's shaped like a giant UFO with pointy outstretched wings, okay. if you can imagine such a oh, wild oh, thing. God. There's also the concrete shell vault, which is concrete shells like sticking off the roof of a building. Yeah. Googie buildings had a lot of diagonals that would sweep dramatically up yeah. or down as a diagonal is wont to do. Yeah. This also conveyed like a wild energy and a movement into the future. Similar to diagonals was the folded eave, which is a Mm -hmm. surface that started like a diagonal and it would slant up and up and up and then it would fold down like a little bit at the tip and make sort of like a a blaster shield, if you will. There were folded plates, which are basically different shapes in the concrete of a building. A common shape, of course, the zigzag. Yes. On the inside of these places was a lot of flagcrete, which was the brand name of a certain type of stone that came in these long, thin slabs with like a really rough texture, Mm -hmm. which is why in a lot of googie places, there's walls that are like raw stone. Yeah. Also inside, there were cantilevered counter stools, which were an alternative to a stool sitting on top of a pole jutting out from the floor and instead these ones would jut out from a footrest that was built into the counter making it much easier to sweep around. Back on the outside there were a lot of steel web lighteners. So to explain this, picture a big metal beam, now made it with a piece of Swiss cheese and you got it. You got a beautiful what are they called? (laughs) Big beams. There was also the structural bent. So Mm -hmm. imagine this, you take your Swiss cheese beam, fill in the Swiss holes, and now you bend it until it looks like a seven that fell down on its face. (laughs) There is the structural truss, Mm -hmm. which I have no explanation for, but it's apparently what allowed the buildings to have entire walls that were made out of glass and not just shatter onto everybody. Then there were the tapering pylons, which were giant pylons that would taper. Thanks. Were they nylon? Yeah, the nylon pylons, <laughs> which is the name of our... Our band. Yeah, yeah our Traveling Wilburys cover band. <laughs> so the three rules of Googie, as laid out by Douglas Haskell, who was not a fan of Googie, as we'll get to, <laughs> they are, one, it has to be abstract, but also follow the rules that were laid down for itself. And the example they gave is that if it's supposed to look like a bird, it has to be a geometrically proportioned bird. Okay. So the second rule was ignore gravity. So they said in Googie, whenever possible, the building must hang from the sky. Nothing need appear to rest on anything else, least of all the earth. So then the third rule is have a lot of different stuff going on at once. So Googie's been referred to as architectural jazz, which was another thing that was big in LA. And it's very funny because if if these architects are creating it and not liking, they're just following a sort of culture and not really liking it. It's very much like the West Coast jazz players that were just making it, but like, we don't really like this crap. West Coast architecture was almost going to be every building shaped like a surfboard short. (laughs) It's just you walk into Spongebob wherever you go. I don't have a problem with that. (laughs) I would love to live in a pineapple above the sea. (laughs) Now that you have a sense of what this style looks like from my vague descriptions, where did it come from? So in the 20s and 30s, the popular architecture style was style moderne, Mm -hmm. aka art deco. And then the world changed a lot during that time and all sorts of new technologies were developing and the style that emerged from this in the 30s was called Streamline Modern mm-hmm. which was inspired by the new technology coming into the world but it still had one foot in the Art Deco world so it kind of it looked like Art Deco but sleek and shiny it, it all looked like it was in motion yeah, yeah. hence Streamline hence exactly what I said is that, oh, I wasn't listening. Are we, talking about, are we still talking about uh, spaceships? It was half Art Deco, half Googie. Okay. And then World War II hit and technology took a huge leap forward. We went from blimps to jets carrying atomic bombs. And the architects who grew up 
or were involved in all this got the look of these new methods of transportation embedded into their consciousness mm-hmm. and the things they started to design after the war reflected this technology that they were sort of came of age around. It was almost like a bunch of shell-shocked former soldiers that were trying to cope with what they saw <laughs> by building all these buildings to sort of express how they felt. Yeah. Some of these new technologies were in the form of building materials that allowed for more flexibility and creativity. So instead of just steel and glass and concrete, now they could make use of materials like cement and plywood and plastic and this hot new thing, asbestos. So using these innovative new technologies coupled with all the imagery that evoked the sense of modernism and forward thinking, and most importantly, the future. The future, Daniel? (laughs) Yes, all the way in the future. (laughs) Now, why Los Angeles? Yes, please. Why, oh, why? 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 Around this post-World War II time, the city started expanding very quickly into every free space that was around, and they were making suburbs wherever they could. It was called sprawl. Define this. Everybody keeps leaving. Everywhere they go, they set up a new little city, and then they try to get away from that city. And they just keep going and going until you're down in an old valley and you don't know how you got there. Since these new free spaces used to just be ranches or orange groves, there was no sense of history or tradition aside mm-hmm. from the Keech, who at this point were long forgotten, yeah. that any of these architects were shackled to. Like, you can't build a giant spaceship in the middle of New York City because it wouldn't fit in. But here, in the middle of nothing, there were no rules. So yeah. they had a blank slate to create whatever they felt like experimenting with. And some of these guys as well had been movie set designers in, mm-hmm. the, 20, in the 30s and 40s. 40s, the city changed from having one central downtown area to many scattered suburbs, as we know. And (laughs) (laughs) what did shape the form of things being built was the increasingly obvious realization that Los Angeles was a city meant for cars. Yes. So there were drive-in theaters, drive-in restaurants, drive-in car washes, drive-in milk places. Googie was meant to attract people in cars. In the 20s and 30s, drive-in restaurants popped up all over the city, but by the 40s and 50s, they were replaced by coffee shops as the location of choice for teenagers to hang out. Hanging out the car hop. Oh, gross. (laughs) In fact, many of the coffee shops were built on top of the old drive-ins. Oh, really? Progress, Greg. Pretty soon they'll build a drive-in on top of you. Can't wait. (laughs) Cannot wait. Turn the volume up. (laughs) Turn your headlights off. I can't see the screen. Mind you, these are coffee shops, not in the Starbucks sense, but in the diner sense, but they were not diners. Diners were an East Coast thing. What became known as the California coffee shop was classier and more stylish than a diner. Goddamn right. They were modern and they usually served a higher quality of food, but they were still for regular people. The contempt you you have when you say stuff like that. Regular Regular people. people. You, if I don't want to be there, you'll find me at the Chateau Marmont (laughs) at Starbucks. The Starbucks at the Chateau Marmont. They weren't fancy restaurants. They just catered to the people who wanted to eat out but didn't want to waste their money on some greasy spoon. Ooh, where's that? Where's the greasy spoon? Are they still open? They're usually open 24 hours a day. So Googie was born out of the California coffee shops because their business depended on people driving by in a car. There were so many coffee shops around with the same style that before it was officially termed Googie, it was referred to as coffee shop modern. I I love that term. Let's call it that. No, it's Googie. It's... I hate saying it. Coffee shop modern just sounds stupid, like something a baby I hate would say. Saying it, boomerang modern. 
Like I said, car culture was taking over LA and a place that was designed like some nondescript diner on a busy New York City Avenue, which would do fine in New York because people will walk by it constantly and they'll notice it. It would not stand a chance, that sort of thing, being noticed by somebody driving down Sunset Boulevard at 40 miles an hour. The California coffee shop had to be big and flashy and bright to violently grab the face of whoever was driving by and demanding their attention. And money. And, uh, well, yeah, this is what Googie was. It was big and bold and it was garish. The signs for a restaurant and many times the restaurant themselves were just billboards to come eat at Joe's. Joe's was not a coffee shop. (laughs) That sort of thing, it fits perfectly into most people's stereotypes of what everybody in LA is like. So maybe Googie is a little, it's still around. It hasn't been demolished quite yet. It's a little (laughs) bit in all of our hearts. (laughs) A crazy slanting shape on a roof would draw your eyes as you drove by and, oh, I just realized I'm hungry and this place looks like it's just been designed to be easily accessed by a car yeah so i'll eat here forever and i'll never leave never leave never Never leave leave. (laughs) driving by at night since these places had entire walls made of glass you'd see a bunch of people sitting there eating and that in itself acted as a billboard to come and eat there i want that i want friends i I wish that i had a table of my own maybe i wish all those people left the restaurant so i can eat there (laughs) and waitress asked me here's your fries i ordered country potatoes that's my fantasy that's greasy spoon food, Greg. <laughs> French fries. French. Say it. French fries. Freedom, freedom fries. French French fries. fries. Freedom fries. French fries. French fries. Can communist mash. <laughs> communist <laughs> After World War II, all the factories that were working around the clock producing death machines switched (laughs) gears. Switched gears to using all their technology to market to consumers. So by the 50s, consumerism was king, as everybody says. All hail consumerism! (laughs) Googie was a consumerist style, which is why it was born in places that want your business. From coffee shops, the style spread out to things like supermarkets and laundromats, places that wanted your business (laughs) most of the places it spread to were car centric things like gas stations and car washes which car washes they usually had giant pylons sticking into the air which were meant to be spacey and modern representations of the old roman fountains that would celebrate an abundance of water by blasting it into the sky that's interesting Yeah, it is. Yeah. I made that up. So, uh, I also designed Googie. I'll talk uh, to you later, Bruno. Oh, oh. <laughs> Bruno, that's true, right? <laughs> Car dealerships adopted the Googie look because mm-hmm. the cars they were selling looked like rockets, so they wanted to be in a place that looked as sleek as their cars did. Because they can't tell rocket ships, so they can tell cars that look like rocket ships. Yeah, yeah. we can't do that. The best we can do is have a big glass window. <laughs> we may not go to the moon, but we have a big glass window. Also, I have a coffee machine that sometimes works in the lobby. <laughs> but you gotta buy a car first. <laughs> Think about the big open glass showrooms at a car dealership, and then think of a coffee shop full of diners visible and like dramatically lit from the street. We're just merchandise people. Don't be so naive. I've been telling people I've been a model for years and they didn't believe me. <laughs> the way that Greg just digs into a bowl of linguine at three in the morning. <laughs> Bowling alleys embraced Googie mm-hmm. because in 1951, the automatic pin setting machine came out. So there was a huge bowling alley boom where they became... <laughs> bowling alley went boom. They became meeting places. And by that time, Googie was the style. So they just went with it. Yeah. Some banks moved away from the, like, the stately marble designs, which I love. That's why I want to work in a bank. <laughs> and they embraced Googie to seem more hip and cool and friendly. We're not Washington Mutual, we're WAMU. This ain't your daddy's bank. No. Please come rob us. This isn't your daddy's bank, but your daddy's money's coming in here. (laughs) We do deal in stocks and bonds that your father deal with, by the way. But anyways. Bank of mom and dad. (laughs) The Googie commercialism had a huge influence on the pop art that came around this time. Googie spread out from LA and it swept the nation. Most notably, Las Vegas, where the analogy Mm -hmm. was that if LA was Rome for Googie, Las Vegas was Florence. I don't study uh, 
you know, Euro trash stuff, you know what I mean? What is it? Like, LA is Grand Rapids, Michigan, <laughs> and Las Vegas is, like, my favorite city in the world, Des Moines, Iowa. Examples outside of LA, where Googie has spread to, yep. Seattle Space Needle. Okay. The Atomium in Brussels is Googie. Mm-hmm. Tomorrowland is Googie. Yeah. McDonald's started out as Googie and fully embraced the whole Googie idea of car business. Yeah. But they mostly switched to a more traditional look with a giant hamburger man. <laughs> The heyday of Googie was the 50s and 60s, but make no mistake, it was never respected by anybody. And to this day, it still kind of isn't. It's appreciated now as a symbol of the 50s and 60s, but it isn't revered like Art Deco or something like that is. So from the get-go, it was just dismissed as silly and frivolous. Architecture critics would look at a Googie building and shrug it off as just a facade. Mm -hmm. The name itself that Greg loves, Googie, was too wacky to be taken seriously by esteemed scholars. It was too flamboyant and West Coast to be taken seriously. It's funny that now that you say that, it makes sense. I mean, I've, I've doing the reading, I can tell that people didn't really like the title attached to them. But just in trying to find a book on Googie, there's two. Yeah, there's, there's like, two. There's and one is of- an updated edition <laughs> of the first one. <laughs> there's like hundreds of books on Art Deco. There's very yeah. many books on Streamline yeah. and everything. But Googie has two books. They wrote a bunch and then all the architecture critics... <laughs> What is this trash? They called it child-oriented trash. Did they? Yeah. That's funny. It was too flashy and quirky for some, but since they were meant as advertising pieces, they couldn't afford to be subtle. So they were seen as crass. And that element of advertising was a huge part of the reason why people frowned upon it. The label Googie, it quickly became an insult. It was used to describe things that were designed sloppy or cheaply made and carried with it a connotation of shameless advertising and exaggeration, which it was. The architecture world looked down on Googie and saw it in poor taste because they were all of the opinion that good, interesting work can only come from high art. Yeah. Listen, we all know that the B-52s are just as good as Radiohead. We're going to say that today. The Googie of bands. (laughs) They are the Googie of bands. And Radiohead's the art deco of bands. (laughs) So these people, they thought that good, innovative work could only come from the designs of the homes of the wealthy or extravagant buildings. But Googie was an architectural style for the people. Modernism was used in the designs of houses of the ultra-rich, but Googie, which was a subgenre of modernism, albeit an exaggerated modernism, was in places like gas stations and coffee shops, places where the common person was found. A lot of the negative image that Googie has, it was classist. Because rich people didn't spend much of their time in coffee shops or in a bowling alley with Ralph Cramden eating cold chicken or getting their own groceries. Listen, so- Ralph can't have hot chicken. We told them that. I don't know why they keep coming on about it. God, rich Ralph people can- rich people only eat their hot chicken. They like <laughs> Piping their, hot chicken. They like their chicken hot. I'll have my chicken boiled, please. <laughs> the fanciest way to prepare a chicken. <laughs> hot. <laughs> rich people weren't going out and getting their own groceries, so why should they have any respect for the buildings where that sort of thing happens? Right, it right. was lowbrow and it was gross. Why would I get a box of Pringles? Because they don't come in boxes, stupid. I eat- <laughs> they don't know that. But that's what's charming about Googie is that it wasn't condescending. It wasn't pompous. It brought modernism to everybody. But because of that, it never got respect. So Googie lasted about 25 years. But by 1970, it was pretty much over. By that time, we had landed on the moon. And that's it. (laughs) We've done all we have to do. The future was here. Also, around this time was when the eco movement started. And people started to realize that we have a finite amount of resources. And we can't start making buildings out of plastic anymore. (laughs) And they turned against all the synthetic materials that Googie relied on, the style shifted from trying to build the future to trying to replicate the past with more earthy, environmentally friendly styles. Hippies just ruin everything. The hippies brought down the 50s. Can we make a house out of granola? (laughs) No! Leave me alone! Take a shower! Granola moderne. (laughs) You never never heard of that? The dog ate my house. The... (laughs) 
Pack a dog to my house. <laughs> What's that band where there's like 30 people in it? Grateful Dead? Yeah, Grateful Dead. Nah, this this joke is over. <laughs> Who's, what band has 30 people uh, in it? Sonic. The no. Sonic Spree? Polyphonic Spree. Polyphonic Spree has 30 granola, people. Granola. The poly, Get it out. The Polyphonic Spree is the Granola Modern <laughs> of bands, <laughs> along with the B 52s of Googie. And the Art, the Art Deco, Deco of Radiohead. Radio. <laughs> Time for those beautiful Art Deco sounds of <laughs> Thom York. <laughs> a lot of googie places went Polynesian, and they turned into tiki places. Mm-hmm. By the 80s... I don't mind that at all. By the... Hey, you wouldn't. Oh, oh here we are! Yeah, just go jungle boogie. <laughs> By the 80s... So we've gone from Tomorrowland to the Jungle Cruise. Yeah. I'm okay with that. The whole spectrum of... Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, we've spanned the whole park here. <laughs> By the 80s, most of the googie places were closed, but still there. But nowadays, not too many are left, and they're going away very quickly. Since most of the coffee shops were on the corners of busy intersections to attract customers better, as the city grew, these intersections became prime real estate, so they were bought up and turned into high-rise buildings. I love the beauty of the beauty. skyscrapers that I'm not invited to. Do you stay out of the Empire State Building? <laughs> King Kong doesn't live here anymore. <laughs> the city- my favorite book is King Kong doesn't live here anymore. It's my favorite Martin Scorsese's first movie. <laughs> the city just outgrew Googie. And since it was a very suburban style rather than a city style, and these places were just coffee shops, just coffee shops. It was ignored and it was allowed to fade away. But regardless, many of the Googies are still around. <laughs> There's still three surviving members of the <laughs> There's a 76 station in Beverly Hills, Johnny's yes. Coffee Shop, Bob's Big Boy, the mm-hmm. old McDonald's, the one that had the farm, the Corky's, Fred 62, mm-hmm. 101 Diner, the Astro Diner, Swingers, Mel's, the Theme Building, Capitol Records, the In-N-Out logo. Oh, that's right, huh? <laughs> the Society for Commercial Archaeology... And Whoa, you want to do that one more time? The Society for Commercial Dinosaur Bones <laughs> and the National Trust for Historical Preservation have pushed for protecting Googie landmarks. The LA Conservancy has its modern committee whose whole job is to protect these sorts of buildings. Googie, though, it was science fiction coming to life. I like it, it was the intersection of the space age, the atomic age, and car culture, and LA was its home. It saw the influx of cars into the city and it rose to the occasion and it accommodated it, it embraced it, even the palm trees in the city mm-hmm. themselves are googie. It's just a long skinny trunk and an explosion on top. That's a right. dingbat. There's a dingbat on every palm, palm tree, tree in this town. Sometimes I'm the dingbat on the palm tree, but I'm just trying to... I'm just bird watching, okay? I'm not trying to spy on your mother. You're uh, too high up. <laughs> we have a small house. She lives in the U.S. Tower building. <laughs> that Hanna-Barbera style was that say. was so L.A., but we couldn't put our finger yeah. on why. Now we know. Yeah. Googie. Like, I mean, if you look at even like the way some houses in the Flintstones are set up, they're very googie. They have like yeah. long kind of bent uh, roofs and stuff and they have Swiss cheese walls. And all that like the flashy colors and amoeba shapes and the fun yeah. fonts that you see in like a lot of googie uh, logos and, the, and stuff. Yeah. A lot of diamond shapes. Diamonds, yeah. Yeah. It's all there. A diamond boomerang. <laughs> that so was the ultimate gift for someone in the 50s. If you mix a diamond boomerang and a dingbat, you get a ninja star, <laughs> which brings us to the 80s. Ninja culture of LA. So now we're going to look at a few specific case studies of the stories and the architects of a few googie places. Some have been lost, some are that are doing fine, some that are in danger, just so you understand that these aren't just buildings. There is some history behind yes. them. So I'm going to start with one place in particular. What was it called? And do me a favor, don't say googie anymore. It's called Boomerang the Movie, <laughs> and it's starring two podcast hosts. Who are they? 
one of them is called Daniel, and the other one is called Daniel's Watch. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I'm in the sequel. Boomerang the movie 2, it's back. (laughs) (laughs) Boomerang the movie 2, the very nature of the boomerang. (laughs) What it was designed for. (laughs) Were you not expecting this? (laughs) Coming this summer. You bought the round trip ticket, didn't you? That's the tagline for the movie. Anywho. Physics. (laughs) It's hard to place exactly where Coffee Shop Modern started because it was a subtle transition out of Streamline Modern, but I read that the opinion is that it officially started with a place called Coffee Dan's. It's a pretty good name, I'd say. (laughs) Coffee Dan's originated as a nightclub in San Francisco that morphed into a speakeasy during Prohibition, but then eventually became a coffee shop, and by the 40s was ready to expand into new cities. So the first Coffee Dan's opened in LA in Mm -hmm. 1946 at 452 Broadway. Broadway. The men who designed this were Douglas Honnold and John Lautner. Their design was used in four Coffee Dan's around the city that were built between 46 and 48. They're all gone now. Don't look for them. But these men's careers did not end there. But for the sake of a brief podcast, Honnold's did. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably listening pissed. (laughs) Finally, they're going to talk about me. (laughs) What did it miss with Honnold? What did it to him? (laughs) You boys. Meekly. (laughs) After we've killed an architect, go ahead and proceed. Proceed. So let's talk about John Lautner. Or should I say John Edward Lautner? Junior. Oh, Junior. Junior. Junior's back. He was born July 16th, 1911 in Marquette, Michigan, and ended up apprenticing for Frank Lloyd Wright for six years before he came to LA in 1939 to oversee a couple of Wright's projects, and he did not take kindly to LA. <laughs> he said that when he got here and he drove down Santa Monica Boulevard, and I quote, it was so ugly, it made me physically sick. And he stayed sick for a year. A year. He felt ill. I'm pretty sure, if not Faulkner or Fitzgerald said something very similar, I think it was Charlie Parker who said almost those Zodiac words. They all congregated in the <laughs> desert to talk about how gross Santa Monica Boulevard is. But what made him sick, though, wasn't just the sunglasses and the surf trunks. He hated LA because he knew it could be so much more. Oh, he saw potential. He saw potential. Like an Abbott Kidney. He felt like, the, yeah, he was Abbott Kidney. <laughs> Who? <laughs> that was his stage name because kidney shapes are very good. Yeah, he, he knew what he was doing. He felt that the architects up to that point had not made full use of what they had here. So in 1943, Lautner split off from working for Frank Lloyd Wright. I can't, I'm thinking of Edgar Wright, uh, who Googie owes a lot to, not Edgar Wright. Yeah. Forget I said Edgar Wright. Stricken from the record. And Rossi. started do, it started doing military projects, Lautner did, not Edgar Wright again. <laughs> and then houses, not Edgar Wright's house. And then he moved on... <laughs> And then he moved on to places for the people and creating Googie with places like Coffee Dan's and Henry's Drive-In. And then in 1949, he laid the big one. <laughs> Googie's! Oh! I read that it was at... It's called Googie's. I read that it was at 8100 Sunset Boulevard, which is right across the street from the Garden of Allah, oh. where Fitzgerald died. But then I also read that it was at the intersection of Crescent Heights, a little further east. But in the pictures, it's literally connected to Schwab's farm pharmacy, which was even further east at 8024 Sunset Boulevard. Schwab's was also where Fitzgerald's Accursed Hershey Bar was from. I don't know if he died at the Garden of Allah. I know he stayed there, but I don't think he died there. I don't think he did. I think he died in North Hollywood at Sheila's apartment. Oh, you're right. We'll start over? Yeah, let's do this whole thing again. He lived at Garden of Allah. He did live there. All right, he, he didn't, didn't die, die there. there. Bruno... Delete the draft of the email. (laughs) Don't hit... Oh, he hit send. Oh, we'll just ignore it. Let's read this email live. It's Magoo. He's suing us. (laughs) He didn't die there. There was a Hershey bar bought in this area. (laughs) (laughs) Show me the receipt. There had to have been a second bite. 
So Lautner designed the place for Googies for a guy named Mort Burton, which is a very old name. (laughs) And it was named after Burton's wife, who had big eyes. So he would call her Googie after the wide-eyed cartoon character named Barney Google. Okay. He was in the funny pages. No. Just like God. we will be Sunday. I'll see you in the funny pages. Mm-hmm. I'll Did see you, you say someday or I, Sunday? I meant to say someday, but they do come out on Sundays. So let's... Uh, Bruno... Yeah, I like I like, <laughs> I like what you did with the mistake. You worked it well. This restaurant, it had the signature glass facade that Googie's known for, but what really set it apart was it had a regular sort of roof. Then all of a sudden, it shot upwards. Shut up, really? Yeah. <laughs> As if it were a ramp. <laughs> a skateboarding ramp? Yeah, this is... Also where the Lords of Dogtown came from. The Z-Boys. It could seat 65 people, and because of its location, it became a celebrity hotspot. Mm-hmm. Some of the regulars were Natalie Wood, Ooh. Jane Mansfield, and James Dean. Natalie Wood? Most of those people died, died tragically. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a good story. In February 1957, some tough thug came into Googie's and announced, I'm going to kill me every Jew in this place. Mm-hmm. Luckily... Lenny Bruce was eating there at the time. (laughs) And depending on which story you believe, he either started singing, when Israel was in Egypt, land, (laughs) let my people go. Or he went up to the guy and introduced himself as Super Jew, (laughs) which was a character of his. But whichever one you believe, the result was that he was thrown through that giant signature Googie plastic plate window. Lenny Bruce went flying through a window and then he got a drug problem. (laughs) Now, at this time, there was still no official name for the coffee shop model. Modern style. It went by names like Duop. I like that. Jet Age. I like Space that. Age. You're gonna like these two. Populux. Populux. Whatever. Oh, okay, I like that. And Raygun Gothic. I love that. I thought you would. I'm gonna write that down while you keep talking. Raygun Gothic. We're gonna Reagan, change the name. We're changing the name of the podcast. Raygun Gothic. <laughs> Until one day, a Yale professor who is also the editor of House and Home magazine. <laughs> That's me snoring. Sorry. You don't. Look, I'm only reading it for the articles. <laughs> the centerfolds in that thing. Douglas Haskell was being driven down Sunset. His name was Douglas Haskell. He was being driven <laughs> down. He was being driven down Sunset Boulevard when they passed by Googies, and he yelled, "Stop the car! This is Googie architecture." He then wrote an article in the February 1952 issue of his magazine called Googie Architecture. The article was not positive towards Googie, oh boy. and it was written in the voice of a made-up Professor Thug. Who was a not thug? That's the guy from who beat up Lenny Bruce. Professor Thug. He was a professor. I'm Professor Anti Semite. <laughs> but you call me Thug. But I go by my street name, <laughs> Thug Hitler, <laughs> Thuggy Riefenstahl. So his name was Professor Thrug who was obsessed with Googie. It's satire, Greg. Satire. <laughs> like a satirical piece of humor? Yeah, it's kind of like what they do on uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, the, the Kimbles. Jimmy Kimbles, as my dad calls it. <laughs> but the name Googie stuck, and now this style was finally called Ray Gungothic. <laughs> <laughs> it was called Googie now, for better or worse. Greg will say worse. For the restaurant itself, a new partner was brought on board named Ernest Goldenfeld in 1955. The names back then. So he came on in 1955 and he started pushing towards growing the Googie brand. Okay. Googie's brand, rather. That same year, let me say one more time, Googie. <laughs> that same year, they bought up the lot around the restaurant and turned it into a retail center designed by our man Davis, who okay. Greg will get to. Then a second Googie's opened up downtown at Fifth and Olive, nearby where Wyatt Earp was was arrested for a crooked pharaoh game uh, that was also designed by our man davis there was supposedly a third location that was opened at roxbury and wilshire in beverly hills but i can't find any proof of that other than one sentence 
Bruno, come on, Bruno. 40 emails? <laughs> Investors wanted to open up a national chain of Googies, but Burton didn't think it was a good idea, and he insisted on doing things the old-fashioned way, which meant failing. <laughs> so <laughs> They had started hurting when Schwab's expanded in 1956, and their rent got raised to 25000 a month, Ooh. but they were taking in around 15000 a month, and Lenny Bruce was not leaving good tips. Eventually, Googies was sold to Bob Wyan of Bob's Big Boy yeah. for three hundred thousand dollars he kept it going for a while but in 1984 the downtown location closed and by 1989 the original one had been torn down if it was at the schwab's area it's now a beautiful trader joe's mm. or if it's a little further down it might be a cvs <laughs> lautner's reputation took a hit from being associated as the guy who created googie yeah. but he still managed to make a huge impact on the city he designed the upa studios did he speaking of magoo really yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah everything's coming together yeah. I yeah. love it when hey, it comes yeah. together. Hey, 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 wait, 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 I want to say something. Yeah. <laughs> Lautner also lectured for a little bit at the Schuenard Art Institute in the early 60s before mm-hmm. Disney turned it into Cal Arts. He was also the architect for the 1984 Olympics, but his two most notable private housing creations in yeah. the city are Silvertop at 2138. Michel... Mitchell Turina? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, Greg. You can read my mind. <gasps> it's in Silver Lake. Greg uh, lives there. Which was, you know my secret now. Yeah, so this project was started in 1956, but it had so much drama along the way that it wasn't completed until 1974. Imagine just like living living in a house where like a your bathroom is just like a tarp <laughs> for two decades. <laughs> the second big one is the Malin House or the Chemosphere at 7776 Torreson Drive in the hills above Studio City, mm-hmm. which Encyclopedia Britannica called... <laughs> the most modern home built in the world. Wow. It's also Googie, as is Silvertop. It was made in 1960, and it's considered the best known house in LA. Being a landmark of LA, it also has a very sad history. <laughs> One of the former owners of the house, Dr. Richard Kuhn, Kuhn, something, K-U-H-N, oh. who had... Shut up. <laughs> who had won the Nobel Prize in 1938 and then went on to survive the Holocaust was stabbed to death in the chemosphere during a robbery. Okay. Nowadays, it's lived in by the Tashins of the Tashin really? Book Company. Yeah. Lautner died in 1994, but his importance is kind of unsung considering he really was a major force in forming LA's image. Yeah. Although all of his old models and his designs were donated to the Getty Research Institute in 2007 for perusing if you have the proper credentials and just July 16th, his birthday has been designated John Lautner Day throughout Los Angeles. Do you have to get him anything? You have to go break into the Getty Institute and steal his designs back and scatter them in the Pacific Ocean, <laughs> as he always wanted. As is stated in his will. The font, all the letters were boomerangs in different <laughs> like, shapes. It was really hard to read because every separate letter had its own diamond. <laughs> we were sort of designating and you're like, well, why don't you take a look at ships and see if you like it? I really like ships. Yeah, it seems yeah. like... I also meant you should get on a ship and leave. Oh, is that what you meant? Why don't you make like a ship and have a leave screen port. door on a submarine? I can't wait to post pictures of ships online because we could bask in all that spacey glory of the ship's franchise. <laughs> ships was named after the Shipman family who started the coffee shop chain, more specifically Emmett Shipman, whose nickname in the Navy was Ships. <laughs> I would have called him Shippy, but I was in the Navy in the 50s, so what do I know? Or ever. Or, yeah, ever. I think I played a video game Coward. where I was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I played Halo... I get seasick when Sh- I play Halo. <laughs> Stop rocking the couch. Ships and its distinctive rocket. Don't rock the couch. Don't tip the couch over. 
baby. Sorry. Ships and its distinctive rocket-shaped sign happened to be one of the country's foremost examples of googie architecture. They had three locations. The first and most famous was the one in Westwood at 10877 Wilshire Boulevard. It was right on West, uh, Wilshire. Wilshire, yeah, it was on Wilshire. Uh-huh. The other two locations were in Culver City on Overland and Washington. And then everyone's favorite from what I kept reading was the one in LA, which was on Olympic and La Cienega. Picture it. Picture it. It's not in the Beverly Hills. Okay, I got it. Let me just take out my map. Ships was our kind of place, Daniel. You know why? Because it, it's called ships. <laughs> because it was look like a rocket the fish ship. and ships. Is that something that was on the menu? Is that the sort of thing they did there? <laughs> Puns, Greg. Puns. <laughs> Each ships was open for 24 hours a day. Each ships? Each oh, ships. I thought their slogan was eat ships. <laughs> <laughs> ships or get off the pot. <laughs> Tough ships. Each ship's location uh-huh. was open for 24 hours a day. That's ex- exactly what we like. That's exactly what the city needs, by the way. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We need more ships. <laughs> All three ship coffee shops as well were opened by the shipments between 1956 and 1967. The restaurant chain opened by Matt Shipman in 56 and was later owned and operated by his son Emmett, or ships as we already know. Mm-hmm. The three shippy. Shi- the shippy. The three ship shops had neat shapes and signs depicting a futuristic rocket ship about to be launched. It was very simplistic and stylish, not too cartoonish or anything like that. The sign for the Westwood one had these two lines that meet at a point. I want to say 25 degree angle. And at the center, totally disrupting the linear fill, is this big, bold, round sign in the middle that just says ships in a really <laughs> nice, fun font. Attached to the pole that held the sign up at like street level, it said, never closes mm-hmm. perfection. You can't read that sign wrong. And please tell me that they never closed. They never closed, Daniel. <laughs> they ne- never closed. Ne- never clothed. Inside, there was a distinctive orange interior, and outside, there was those boomerang tresses that you were talking about along a sort of like high bent wall. There was a hovering angular roof canopy and glass walls that seemed to defy the rules of gravity i like it nothing mm-hmm. it, like you were saying before it's not attached to the earth it's like hanging and yeah. everything i think that's what the glass yeah one of the things allows it so that like the building is being supported by the roof yeah. rather than i, I don't under look i know i have a master's in architecture but, <laughs> but i don't know what they're talking about <laughs> the designer of this is pretty famous although not particularly for ships but it is strong container in his catalog the designer was a man named martin stern jr mm-hmm. stern would become famous for the high-rise casinos in vegas that he would help characterize that swinging bachelor feel of the vegas <laughs> Funny that he did ships because the stern of the boat is one of the sides of the boat. And also another junior. Oh, yeah, another junior. God damn this city um, nepotism his designs defined the Vegas Strip from the low rise addition to the Sahara in 1953 mm. to his 2100 room MGM Grand which became the Bally's later on okay uh, never been along with a lot of other great casinos apparently Stern was the Is, inter- did he do the Pawn Star shop he does all the gift shops that have like dice and it says like welcome to Vegas you're a winner he, done, he did all of those he invented share <laughs> didn't we all invent share Daniel <laughs> didn't we all he was a product of a generation <laughs> apparently Stern was the innovator who set up the design for modern integrated casino hotel convention complexes like that was his idea he was born in new york in 1917 and moved to la in the 30s to work as a sketch artist for movie studios Uh after a while there you go (laughs) after a while he kind of gave up on that and opened up his own practice in beverly hills in the 50s designing apartments houses restaurants office buildings bowling alleys one of them if you want to look it up it's called the sepulveda bowling alley in mission hills it looks really great the mission hills bowling alley is that what it's called I now? I think it's called Mission Hills Bowl now. I've, yeah, I've been there I've been many checked, times. I haven't checked if it's still up. It's still up? Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So it used to be the Sepulveda. It's right off the 118. Want to go right now? Pause it. 
All right, we're back. <laughs> you feel really good. <laughs> I got a 300. I, I stole the bowling shoes. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> he also designed a lot of office buildings as well. Ships was one of the big googie designs that really helped to define the LA driving culture that the Beach Boys just couldn't stop singing about. <laughs> he also designed uh, Cafe Tales in Inglewood, which is another really neat looking coffee shop, which still stands, although I think it's been redesigned a little bit, maybe in the interior. It's You can check it out. It's 115 South La Brea Avenue in Inglewood. Personally, I'm a big fan of Stern's works. All his works fit the googie bill really well with all that space age streamline look and i've always been a big fan of the 50s 60s casinos especially that welcome to vegas sign they have up front that's uh that, that, that sign is very greg is motioning with a what's it called he's making a dingbat with his dingbat. hand <laughs> thank you i'm making I'm, I'm just exploding my hand until you said dingbat picking up grenades and exploding his hand back to ships ships was the first in 1956 to install the cantilever counter seat which you talked about cantilevered it's a cantilevered yeah the cantaloupe counter seats they're delicious ships was the first place to do that in 1956 okay Here's another big thing about ships. Each table and counter space had a toaster. What? (laughs) Because it was the only way they can guarantee that customers would get hot toast by letting them do it themselves. So if you ordered breakfast, they brought you bread instead of toast and you cooked it yourself at a toaster at your own table. How many people got electrocuted sticking forks in there? Installing this... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you actually you actually have an answer for this? Not really. Probably a lot, though. I imagined several kids with metal yeah. f- just didn't yeah. know what they were doing. Here's your complimentary toaster, a very metallic fork, and a bathtub. <laughs> yeah, we'll watch your kids. All the busy staff here will watch well, your kids go to the bathroom. We never close. <laughs> Installing the separate electricity lines was expensive, and customers delighted in stuffing the small appliances with objects other than bread, oh, giving each machine a lifespan of about six weeks <laughs> but shipment just kept putting toasters on tables they were famous for it that's pretty cool though yeah, I, i'd like that yeah i like i like to see that yeah yeah what were they like putting like bacon or like eggs and i get in there? I, maybe they're putting jam from those little packets of jam in there <laughs> there must have been a fork and a toaster at some point we should look be. at the death records yeah <laughs> unsolved mysteries <laughs> how did it happen how did this kid get electrocuted they were also known for their inexpensive coffee and real dairy cream not half and half someone commented on a block that a friend of theirs recalled that ships had the coldest milk in town yum coldest milk and the hottest toast in town <laughs> so they used a uh, usda prime beef for the ship's burgers they made their own soups sauces and gravy from scratch on top of that according to a lot of people they had the nicest waitresses who would recall your name out like within the second trip to ships huh. yeah like a, a really friendly Fired. Shoved in the toaster. You gotta go work at Googie's now. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> Anything but. Lenny Bruce goes flying out there every night. Times were changing, of course. Fast food and drive throughs were becoming popular. And after 27 years and an estimated 25 million customers, the Westwood oh structure God. was demolished in 1984 and replaced with a 22-story Center West office tower. What a great addition to the yeah. city. <laughs> I came here for cold milk. And what I got was a loan building. <laughs> the demolition of the Westwood ships, along with the closing of the 1949-built Tiny Nailers coffee shop, Oh, yeah. led in 1985 to the creation of a faction of the LA Conservancy's volunteer 50s task force which yeah. we should totally join or as they're known now the modern committee or modcom <laughs> according to their page on the LA Conservancy website the modcom set out to raise awareness of document and advocate Los Angeles particularly rich heritage of the 50s architecture volunteers began educating themselves about 50s architecture identifying a significant and or potentially threatened examples in the area raising awareness through frequent articles in the Conservancy member newsletter and creating a survey and database of LA's modern resources. I read that off their website. 
verbatim. No, but I checked <laughs> their data. gun to your head. <laughs> I checked their their, uh, their database for stuff. It helped a lot during the research for this. Just getting addresses and stuff. Emmett Shipman died in 1991, and after that, the last two ships' locations struggled to stay open, mostly due to the popularity of, like I said, fast food chains. His wife, Marilyn, was responsible for keeping them going, but when it came time to changing the quality of their food to accommodate on-the-go people, she'd say she'd just rather close gracefully. <laughs> so in August of 95, the last two 50s-style ships' coffee shops shut down that summer. Mm-hmm. Many locals and regulars were really sad about it, but then I found this article from 1995 that I'm kind of curious about. It seemed like a new business purchased the liquidated ships, and it was run by Emmett's son, Matt, who was named after his grandfather. Don't be confused. <laughs> it was reopened quietly, no big ceremony, anything like that, which was really confusing to people because they knew that it was closed. They said and their goodbyes, and all of a sudden it was still open. Hey, you don't want to eat here? <laughs> also, now that it was reopened, it only had a small number of the employees who had been working there before, which upset a lot of waitresses and cooks who had been working at ships for decades. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the old ships had a contract with the hotel employees and restaurant employees union. The new one used non-union workers who are usually paid less and receive fewer benefits. Look at that. So ships looked the same, but felt very different. And the difference was immediately noticeable. <laughs> they had a new computer for the register instead of like the cool clicking ones. Uh-huh. Like Pineburger has cookie. The menus really. were the menus were <laughs> photo like country bear jamboree. I'll fight you. The menus were photocopies of the original menus because of the original menus were taken by souvenir hunters. Oh. The trademark vintage Sunbeam brand toasters had been replaced by newer toasters, and the right. service was much slower. At least they still have the toasters. At least they still I have the toasters. Just like you want hot toast? Where do you <laughs> think you are? Get it from the pile of toast in the cold corner. <laughs> cold mountain. <laughs> the service was much slower, which was a reason that his mother Marilyn Shipman didn't want to remain open. You know, she wanted to close gracefully and here her son was. It rubbed old regulars and staff who were invited back the wrong way. I'm not sure how long this ship's remained open, but it, I know they closed down probably within a few years. This is from the ship's official website, their closing statement. For 40 years, 24-7, 365, ships was there. All were served equally. Workers, office people, the wealthy stars, and the late night waiters from the famous Hollywood and Beverly Hills hotspots could all enjoy the same high quality food they served to the stars. The ships in Westwood is certainly a lost Los Angeles treasure. Pour some beer on the ground for it, like they do in movies. <laughs> I, I kept seeing that one of them is now a Starbucks. I think the Culver, yeah, the Culver, I think the yeah one of them. I might I be the Culver, the Culver City, City one. one. I think is yeah, a Starbucks. I was looking now. up the location to see what they were now. And one of them still smells just... like toast. Everyone <laughs> thinks they're having a stroke. I'll have cold milk for a nickel, please. Get out! What are you doing? Who are you? Please. We're closed. We always close. <laughs> we always close. <laughs> we're only ever closed. How do you get in? Now let's move into the section of the program to talk about googie things that are doing well still. Intermission. Intermission. Dun 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 dun. Let's all go to the Googies. Let's all go to the Reagan Gothic. I'm saying that. I, if Googie comes up in my in my writing again, I'm saying Reagan Gothic. Well, I'm gonna, while you talk, I'm going to just sit here and scratch it out. Take your time. <laughs> my first place that's still going strong. I can't say I support this place, and I can't say it is an embarrassing to bring up on such a highbrow podcast as this. Oh, watch out, your monocle. <laughs> yeah, my monocle is going to fall on my lobster bisque. But it's my an, gold calculator. <laughs> but it's an example of an establishment that embodied the look and spirit of Googie, and it's my example of one that's still going strong today. Even though I wouldn't eat there because I'm a snob. But mm, it's gross. Denny's. Wonderful Denny's? <laughs> the love of my life? The place I got married? <laughs> you know it's open late and it gives you indigestion. But did you also know it's a local company? I did not know that. Tell me more. Uh, I'm done. It started with a man named Harold Butler from Buffalo, New York, and his friend Richard Jezak. Jezak? maybe, down in Lakewood. Butler had some donut-making experience back in New York, and Jezik had gone to donut school, so the two decided to put their skills together. Sounds like us. 
we've hidden enough of these things so we can reverse engineer it so they decided to use their god-given donut talents and open up a donut shop so in 1953 the very first danny's donuts was open in lakewood at the intersection of bellflower and del amo people loved donuts after world war ii and they were such a huge hit and by 1956 danny's donuts now had six locations the same year jezik left the business to spend more time with his family around this time they also started selling sandwiches donuts and sandwiches donuts and sandwiches together at last i refuse and people loved it so they got an idea to start selling even more food and by the time their eighth store Greedy. opened yeah they had two oh, that's that's donuts for you <laughs> by the time their eighth store opened in 1957 they changed what they were from a donut shop that sold food to a coffee shop that sold donuts by chance and they re- and they renamed themselves Danny's Coffee Shop. They were open 24 hours now with a full service menu. You could still order donuts from this special side window on the outside. You can't come in if you're if you're a donut kind of person. <laughs> Just subscribe to the Donut. We'll grab it for you. There's nothing with sprinkles here. But <laughs> what is a sprinkle? It's 1943. What do you want? I don't know what year they started. It's 1958. But now it's 1959. <gasps> Coffee Dan's got mad at them for confusing <laughs> for confusing customers and stealing their business. So they changed their name again to Denny's Coffee Shop. No chance of confusion there. Then in 1961, they shortened their name to simply Denny's. Unfortunately, they now no longer made donuts. They cut that out of the program. What could have been my favorite thing at Denny's? <laughs> what could have been the only good thing at Denny's? What <laughs> Denny's did so brilliant. We love Denny's. Please sponsor us. What Denny's did so brilliantly was they took the Googie idea. Bruno also runs Denny's. They took. The- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Bruno Denny. So what? What Brenny's? What Brenny's? Oh God, what's happening? <laughs> the wheels are falling off. What Denny's did? Floor so- it. <laughs> Oh, we got four flats. Let's speed toward the, spin- the finish line. The Physics sp- will make them into wheels again. <laughs> we just got to cool running the rest of this. Bobsled's broken. Get out and pick it up and walk, brother. Anyway, what Denny's did so brilliantly was they took the googie idea of grabbing the attention of people driving by on the street and they bumped it up a notch to grabbing the attention of people driving by on this new thing called the Interstate Highway. So this is why you see a Denny's at pretty much every freeway exit. Mm. It was a huge success and Denny's started popping up all over the country and ended up spreading the California coffee shop to all corners of the United States. The prototype that was used for about 400 Denny's starting in 1965 was designed by Armay and Davis. Oh, okay. By 1967, Denny's had opened their first location outside the U.S. in Acapulco, Mexico. Oh. In 19... Not the restaurant. In 1968, Denny's bought Winchell's. Really? A lot of people seem convinced that Winchell's was where all the Denny's donuts went. Like, they spun off into Winchell's. Yeah. But Winchell's has been around since far long before Denny's existed. In 1977, the Grand Slam was introduced in Atlanta in tribute to Hank Aaron. And by 1981, there were... Yeah. It's a tribute to Hank Aaron? Hank Aaron. Funny. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? (laughs) Let's all have a moment. To laugh. <laughs> whoa, wait, slow down. Let's let the audience catch up with laughter. Yeah, that was funny. So by 1981, there were a thousand Denny's. <laughs> there were a thousand Denny's in the country. And today there are over 1,700 locations worldwide, many of them in South America, still growing. It's the largest family restaurant chain in the world, which is pretty good considering most other Googie things are gone. They don't have donuts though, right? No, no donuts. Maybe they'll bring it back. They wouldn't. They don't know would, how to make a good They would move. put bacon on it and be like, this is a rock and roll this donut. Is, this is a hobbit donut. <laughs> 
They they even <laughs> opened up a fancy Denny's last year in Manhattan that serves craft cocktails. Oh, really? Starting in 2000, though, they turned their back on Googie and they, they've remodeled most of their places to just look like regular diners. They're not Googie anymore. They used yeah. to be Googie. They forgot who they are. But there's still traces of the Googie roots with some legal battles that happened in Seattle trying to protect some old Googie's Denny's. Mm-hmm. One of them actually did get designated a landmark, still got torn down. <laughs> the original Danny's Donuts, meanwhile, is a KFC. <gasps> I know that KFC. Do you? Yeah, I know. I think I know it. Best donuts of any <laughs> KFC. Yeah, I'll get the Grand Slam, sir. Please go. We know you've listened to the LA Meekly podcast. You're very funny. You need go to go. any Denny's and mention LA Meekly and get kicked out for free. Get your crayons taken away from your children. <laughs> it's shove them in a toaster. <laughs> Yours? You keep bringing up this Arme and Davis, Arme and Davis. Let daddy sit down and tell you about Arme and Davis. When we were talking about which ones we wanted, I knew for sure <laughs> that I wanted Pan's restaurant Everyone and coffee Pan's shop restaurant in Westchester. Shop. Talking about Pan's requires that I also talk about two other South LA diners. The reason? These three eateries sort of revolve around a film from a famous Los Angeles director. <laughs> so we have to kind of crawl through the trenches. Yeah, to there's a lot that. of confusion about yeah. the facts here. Yeah, yeah. I'm here to straighten. I'm here to straighten you <laughs> the all The straighteners out. here. <laughs> the guy who was wrong on the couple podcasts. <laughs> Greg straighten it out corner. A new feature on LA Meekly. <laughs> it's just me pacing back and forth and looking menacingly at the mic. You know what's wrong with you? You know what's wrong? Here's the problem with with America these days. (laughs) Mr. Magoo. First, let's talk about the architects who designed these eateries. The famous Santa Monica firm Arme and Davis, which was comprised of architects Louis Arme and Aldon Davis. These two would really help define the LA Googie style, even though they didn't invent it. Lautner did, but they got got stuck with the title and they weren't too happy about that. (laughs) They had an associate that I'll talk about later, his name was Victor Newlove, and he was like, I don't know, we didn't invent it, but they kept calling it, and he was kind of upset. He didn't talk like that, though. He doesn't talk like that. His voice doesn't come through very well in a textbook. (laughs) Their designs aided in synthesizing Southern California's car culture with a new growing love of aerodynamics design. Louis and Aldon both attended the USC School of Architecture, and after they graduated, they became business partners, starting a firm in Santa Monica in 1947. They expected to move into the industrial architecture field, but after World War II, there was a boom in construction, not like the LA Times building (laughs) boom. This is a good kind. <laughs> they began designing structures that included churches, banks, bowling alleys, country clubs, and nurseries. Together, Army and Davis designed over 4,000 buildings across Southern oh California. God. Their driving motive... Money. <laughs> Their driving motive, pun sort of intended, was to catch the eye of motorists as they passed by. Uh-huh. Oh, nifty. Wait. Pun. Let's have a moment of silence while the audience laughs, but I figure this out. Okay, yeah, yeah take your time. Because they're, they're laughing really hard. They don't even know they're listening right now. Keep okay. going. It's fine. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll put a map on the board after. <laughs> so the reputation was style over function, and they were kings of it. Things like neon signs and exaggerated roof lines were a trademark of theirs. They also turned to a landscape designer named Sid Galper for their exotic tropical atmospheres for the countertops, waitress outfits, which were mostly... Uh, Hula skirts. Hula skirts by everybody. There was a key member of the staff named Helen Lu Fong, who I'll get to later, who helped interior design as well as, as much as out to, um, exterior. Out- wow. Outterior. Outterior. She worked on menus, countertops, and waitress outfits. Like, they went that deep with the design. Oh, that's weird. Um, their first, seems intrusive. This is what you'll wear. Their first big success was in 1957 with, with Norms, which you'll talk Back about. Back off. I'm going to talk about that. They also designed a Bob's Big Boy, which I think you mentioned, which we both refuse to discuss until they sponsor an episode. <laughs> Bob's was mentioned in City Bites episode and will probably yeah. be turning for a closer examination yeah. in a future episode. So everybody just chill hey, out. We don't do this for free. Yeah. You think th- you think we do this for fun? We get paid in milkshakes. <laughs> milkshakes lined with $100 bills. 
<laughs> Delicious wink milkshake. <laughs> Other Arme and Davis designs include, like you said, Johnny's, that well-preserved diner on Wilshire and yeah. Fairfax. We'll get to that in a future episode. Which has a roof line that folds downward. Speaking of Johnny's, and also we talked about like Capitol Records and the yeah. theme building. Those are huge things that should have been talked about, but they're going to fit into other episodes. Yeah, yeah, we're we'll not just like skipping yeah. over important things yeah. because we're... We're skipping over things like the founding of Los Angeles because it's too much to read. Because uh, those documents are dusty and we have allergies. <laughs> they also designed the witch stand on Sausen Avenue in Inglewood with a tilting blue roof and a needle-like spire. The witch stand is now a healthy eatery known as Simply Wholesome. I ask you, Simply Wholesome, what's wholesome about a shop that has a knife sticking in the air? <laughs> actually looks really neat. I want to go there. Armé passed away in 1981 and Davis passed away about four years ago. In 1986, when asked about his designs, which helped define a romanticized time in Los Angeles, Davis said, I can't see why they try to preserve any of them. We would have liked to have made them more aesthetic, but we were just designing them to sell hamburgers. And sell hamburgers you did <laughs> by the millions. Arme Davis' new love was created when Victor Newlove joined up in 1963 and managed to make partner in 1972, adding his name to the title. He's now the surviving member of that trio with some other gentlemen. Since Stuart Sutcliffe. <laughs> <laughs> Since 1998, the firm has been working with Al Pollo Loco in the development, design, and maintenance of them. They also work with a lot of churches, not churches, chicken, church, churches like you're not welcome there. They, <laughs> they wouldn't dare to betray El Pollo Loco like that by going with church's chicken. <laughs> so let's talk about Holly's Coffee Shop. Okay. Let's start there. Yeah. Holly's Coffee Shop was opened in 1956 on Hawthorne Boulevard and 137th Street in the beautiful city of Hawthorne, California, which is east of Manhattan Beach, south of Inglewood. It was owned by yeah. Angie Papas and George Paulus, who we'll get to later. Are they Greek? I know George Paulus is. I don't know much about Angie Papas, but George Paulus will come back. Is, what, is, what is his name? George Paulus. It, what actually, was the other name? Angie Papas. Angie Papas? Yeah. Pretty sure that's a Greek name. Well, we'll be getting another email soon. <laughs> this is Bruno's cousin, <laughs> Greco. <laughs> I'm not sure if they both own Parasol in Torrance, but I know George for sure was the owner of Pans, so he'll come okay. back. I couldn't find too much on Holly's, actually. There's no photos, but there are artistic renderings of it online, and it is for sure googie. Lifted and peaked entrance, space-age font, glass walls. It featured a very unusual typeface for his illuminated sign. It was placed prominently at the roof line on the diagonal in the proper googie style. The sign was a three-dimensional sculpture, which was legible from several angles when you were approaching. CSUN has a familiar, yeah, similar thing on Salza Nordoff. It was stylish and still integral to the architectural form. It was apparently really cozy home. It had like a home-like feel. I read that it wasn't just a place of business. It was like, it was a place for extended Hawthorne family for like the owners and the employees. It was like a place to hang out. One Christmas, the Hollies regulars climbed on a flatbed truck and toured Hawthorne singing Christmas carols. Are we talking about the band, the Hollies? <laughs> yeah, buddy. No, that's a different band. <laughs> buddy, buddy <laughs> Holly, the Hollies, buddy Holly. <laughs> he had the crickets. Holly Hunter. Yeah. Hollies was of course built in that distinct googie style, which was not a term when Hollies went up. Hollies survived the years and eventually became the Hawthorne Grill and closes stores in 1990. Holly's and the Hawthorne Grill might have been lost in history if it wasn't for one of the local South Bay <laughs> residents using it in his film. You might recognize Holly's from the beginning and end scenes of Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. But are they really the beginning and really the end? I don't know. You're here and then you're there then he's dead and he's alive. It doesn't make any sense. I just sense. don't get it. What is this memento? You know what this movie is? It's a googie movie. <laughs> it was filmed in 1994, four years after Hawthorne Grill closed. They had to refurbish it to make it look like it was so still active. So it was already shut down when yeah but he okay. had been a frequent apparently yeah. yeah so he had it reopened after the success of pulp fiction when people were ready to return to diners so they can get held up at gunpoint <laughs> one of the residents of hawthorne chris garnwriter decided to reopen the hawthorne grill for the following year huh. uh, the draw was of course that pulp fiction was filmed there so garnwriter had a mural of john travolta and samuel L. jackson painted God. on the side of the restaurant and he also had cutouts of the 
actors at the booth where the scenes were shot. Oh no! So no one could sit in those two seats. Yeah, it was holy ground. <laughs> and they hired a guy to come in with a gun. Every day. <laughs> Tim Roth worked there for a while. If you're faint of heart, don't eat here between two and two thirty. <laughs> Sadly, though, it only lasts until May of 1996 when Gart Rider had to file for bankruptcy. The Hawthorne Grill was demolished in 1999, and the spot is now occupied by a very lovely Auto Zone. <laughs> Let's get to our fully armed and operational googie. <laughs> fully armed and operational. <laughs> oh, 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 you may fire when armed. <laughs> Pan's Coffee Shop in Westchester, which is west of Inglewood, south of Culver City, 1610 La Tijera Boulevard at La Tijera and La Cienega. Pan's Restaurant and Coffee Shop has been run by the same family since it opened in 1958, and according to Victor Newlove himself, Pan's is probably the best-preserved example of Davis's work. It was opened in 1957 mm, by... Not necessarily. I, I beg to disagree. We are gonna fight right now. Fisticuffs. Take your shirt off. Please. I won't, though. <laughs> it was opened in 1957 by George and Reina Panagopoulos, but he shortened it later, too. They're not Greek, though. The name Pans apparently came from George's time as a cook in the army because no one could pronounce his name, oh, so wow. they called him George Pan. No pun intended. Sounds like a <laughs> Emmett Shipman's tale, which yeah. is kind of weird. They did later change their name to just huh. Palace. Before we go any further, let's close up this chapter about Pulp Fiction. Okay. <laughs> There's been a lot of confusion over whether Pulp Fiction was actually filmed here at Pans since mm. there was a memorial from the movie at mm. Pans. Mm-hmm. According to their website, after Holly's closed, Pans adopted all the memorabilia. Holly's and its involvement in Pulp Fiction are memorialized here at Pans. They also refer to Holly's as our former Hawthorne location, Holly's. So because George owned it, he just uh. moved all the stuff over. But still, many a people have thought that Pulp Fiction was filmed here at Pans. When yeah. I first stumbled into Pans, because I was lost one day and I found Pans, yeah. I thought the same thing. But after like my third trip, I realized it's just not possible. It it's, doesn't look. It doesn't the, look. It the, looks. The, everyone tells us it is. It does not look. The no, same. no, no. If you watch the movie, like even once you're like no everything's different yeah, yeah, yeah. i've heard of pulp i've seen the dvd cover of pulp fiction <laughs> uma thurman this place looks just like uma thurman <laughs> they danced here right shut up you're dumb i'm setting the story straight pulp fiction was not filmed at pans but there's no disrespect to pans restaurant and coffee no, shop we still love i it. don't mean to deter tourists or anything but since polly's and the hawthorne grill are clothed might as well just go to pans and pretend now back to the panagopolis 1940 <laughs> you want to say something to the panagopolis to the panagopolis <laughs> i hope i'm saying their name right in 1947 after returning from the war george began cooking at the pantry in North Hollywood uh, for about a year. Pantry. Panagopolitry. <laughs> <laughs> he then opened Reina's Cafe, after, named after his wife, in Inglewood, where it was a very small setup with no staff. George cooked and Reina waited six tables, six days a week. A table a day. Yeah, table a day, exactly. <laughs> it's very exclusive. Early in the 50s, George began to figure out how to manage a full-size restaurant while working at the Yum Burger on Manchester Boulevard, which has, of course, led to him and Reina opening Pan's Coffee Shop in 1958. And since the Gooky Wave was sweeping diners and coffee shops across Southern California, George and Reina wanted to have their own spectacular designed futuristic diner to catch the eyes of people coming in and out of LAX. Coffee shop, not diner. Coffee shop. You forget yourself. The design of the building is credited to an Army and Davis staff designer named, like I said, Helen Lu Fong, as well as Davis himself. Fong was an LA native born and raised in Chinatown. Refer to the episode of Forget It for more information on Chinatown. Yeah. Hometown hero. She was also a UC Berkeley graduate and a key member of the Army and Davis staff. Traitor. She was involved heavily with Johnny's Coffee Shop, the Holiday Bowl on Crenshaw Boulevard, and the First Norms. She has also made huge contributions to the interior designs of these places. She was able to make futuristic spaces feel cozy. Like I mentioned before, Fong also worked on employee uniforms as well as the arrangement of counters and overhead soffits, indoor-outdoor planting, scale of the interiors, the banquettes, and the tables, and she was known for her attention to color and detail. Pan's design is beautiful. It's just so much fun. Every time I see it, I think of like the Brady Bunch for some reason. (laughs) The fonts are fun. They have like that desert rock walls along the entrance. They have Trademark Googie. Trademark Googie. They have the full glass walls on one side. Trademark Googie. It's a great illuminated sign. It has the slanted roof. It's exotic and suburban, which is exactly what I think about 50s, 60s California. 
known, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pan's Diner is pretty well known, not only for their insanely popular look, but the food as well. Mm-hmm. The the items that repeatedly get mentioned that I don't think I've ever had at Pan's are uh, fried chicken and the waffles. I don't know if they come together as one item or they, not, but that's a thing. They do. I saw people ordering it when I went, and they designed the wings. Like, it looks... It's googie, the way they designed the really? wings. Like, it looks like the plate is about to fly really? off the counter. God damn it. Yeah. Pans makes their own soups, baked goods, salad dressing, and croutons from scratch. They got blue plate specials on weekdays featuring items like slow braised short ribs. They have a really good menu. Let's talk about milkshakes, yeah? Please. Unleash the animal. <laughs> <laughs> the milkshakes at Pans feature real ice cream and come in neat concoctions like oatmeal raisin, yeah. blueberry blue shake, orange free shake, Ooh. coffee banana malt, Ew. and a peanut butter cup shake. Uh, Comments? They're incredible. Tell me more. That's all I have to say. You no, said that you got a milkshake and an entire tin of extra. Yeah, they give you a, a cup, yeah. a standard milkshake cup. I got a malt. I got a chocolate malt, standard malt cup. Okay. And then they cup. give you the tin, of which I thought they'd be like, oh, you could top it off a little bit. There's an entire second <laughs> serving in that tin. And would you eat a grilled cheese or something? I had grilled cheese with it. Okay. I took a picture. It might be online. The milkshakes are incredible. The malts as well. Proceed. My research department. Pans is still operated by the... We've got a reporter on the field. He seems to have a slight tummy ache. Stop turning your receipt in. You're not going to get money back. Send it to LA Meekly Corporate. Pans is still operated by the Panacopoulos family, although they go by Palace now. It has been run by the couple's son, Jim, since the late 70s and was restored to its gooey glory in 1991. It was named a Los Angeles Historical Cultural Monument and was the proud recipient of the LA Conservancy's best example of classic 50s coffee shop architecture and a LA Magazine's best of award winner in food. Although it was not in Pulp Fiction, it was featured in movies like Triple X, Bewitched, and Next, none of which I've seen. It wasn't Pulp Fiction, but it's the sister of Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it's a sister, but it's Jackie Brown, <laughs> which one day I would like to just talk about the locations in Jackie Brown. <laughs> the Jackie Brown episode. <laughs> now we're moving on to places that are googie and in danger yes. at the moment. My endangered one was kind of hard to find just because your endangered one was so endangered <laughs> that it took up most of the search results. So it was it- screaming so loudly. <laughs> the one I found was endangered March of 2014, so I thought, oh, it's been demolished already. I drove by it. It's still up but i don't know if the fight's still going for it. i don't know the status of it because nothing's been written within the year so i'm going to talk about it anyways and it's not it's not fun cartoonish googie it is a lautner building and i drove by and i kind of took a look at it and i've been reading articles it, it is googie it's just not like whoa yeah, here's it, welcome to Edie's. yeah it's like mature, zippos. zippos it's like mature googie it's like oh Right, he's Googie, but he's that's all right i guess <laughs> he's all right googie's dumb but he's all right that's what it's like So we're going to talk about the Paul Weston Works Center in Woodland Hills now. The building is at 6530 through 6560 Winneka Avenue in Woodland Hills. This building was designed by John Lautner in 1979 and had the unfortunate name the Crippled Children's Society Rehabilitation Center, which when I read it, I'm like, I'm not reading that out loud. (laughs) Not more than once. The purpose of the center is great, but the name is so harsh. At some point, thankfully, they changed the name to the Paul Weston Works Center. Paul Weston was a pianist. And composer who worked, <laughs> who worked with Tommy Dorsey in Dinosaur and eventually yeah. was the leader of his own big band. They named it after Weston because... Like Johnny Be Good? Like Johnny Be Good. He's the leader of a big old band. <laughs> You're stupid. I want to hit you. They named it after Weston because once he retired from the music industry after a long career, he and his wife were active in charities designed to help the developmentally disabled. So they named it after him, which was good because Perfect. the it, first name was yes, really hard to uh, say. It's not exactly helping. The building was owned by Ability First, which is a program set out to help people with disabilities. It's been serving special needs individuals 
individuals and helping them reach their full potential and it's been assisting them in finding work matching people with disabilities with work they can do right. which is really neat the paul weston work center was designed by john lautner and built by paul spear a general contractor in 1979 helena erahute who thankfully provided a description of the center online was also a project architect working for lautner and an associate of paul spears named ben noble the building is small actually a little over like a hundred thousand square feet and the land itself i believe it's referred to as rancho del valle is large about 140,000 square feet so it's like it's a little building it looks a lot bigger online i thought it was like a giant center it's really small but the, it's within a larger park so lautner designed the building according to the requirements of the director of the woodland hills center mary jane moore whose name is almost famous but not quite <laughs> she wanted to be able to view everything that happened from her office without having to use cameras or monitoring tv systems and that big brother stuff she wanted to be able to, to have a glass chamber where she could see everything i don't want robots watching <laughs> i want to see with my own fleshy eyes lautner created a unique design for her the director's office was at the center of a circular pie-shaped plan mm -hmm. this particular design keeps conjuring the word pie to people which is funny and i didn't know what they meant until i saw aerial photography what they mean is slices of pie yeah not like pizza slices those are too long nice people pie you know he can't do anything that isn't involved with something served at a coffee shop <laughs> they don't serve hamburgers here <laughs> well all right it's gonna be shaped like a dessert is our military camp supposed to look like french fries it's not supposed to but it does that's not the main function but it is a function <laughs> her office was raised three feet higher than the main floor and it had no interior partitions so it had total visibility to all the parts of the work center which was kind of creepy according to her specifications the building had to include a speech and hearing department a workshop a multi-purpose a multi-purpose room. <laughs> there are multiple purposes in there. <laughs> so many purposes. A multi-purpose room, a recreation room, an indoor swimming pool, locker rooms, storage, mechanical room, garage, and parking areas. That was, those were her specifications. So each of the... She didn't ask for much. So each of the wing of the work center contained one of these departments. Each wing had glass on three sides facing landscaped areas that separated the wings and provided views, shading, and natural light, which was really neat. It looks really inviting in photographs. There's like a real welcoming feel. Because I guess of the glass walls yeah. and it's like an open air sort of thing. That's how Googie gets you. There's a sort of tent pole structure near the entrance with lines jettisoning from the ground. The interior has a lot of interesting shapes and designs because of the ramps made for wheelchair access along with steps and stairs. So you'll have like really simple five step staircase and then the ramp for this the wheelchair axis is like wiggly and looks like two S's strung up or something. It's really neat. It's and like a low walls. That doesn't sound very... Uh, oh, style over function, Daniel. Googie. <laughs> style overall. Hail Googie. Hail Googie. But despite the Paul Weston Work Center providing help to many disabled individuals, they sold the building to the Oakmont Senior Living Company a few years ago and they sought to demolish the Lautner building. And although Survey LA, the LA Historic Resources Survey, identified the building as a potential historical resource eligible for the California Register and for local listings, the project was not referred to the appropriate office which was the office of historic resources which was inside oh, within God. the la planning department the planning department not aware of the center's architectural significance prepared a mitigated negative declaration which determined <laughs> that the demolition would not be significant Great. Uh, so they filed the paperwork wrong <laughs> in may of 2014 the conservancy was alerted to the proposed project and a zoning administration public hearing was to be held the following day ability first and oakmont senior living requested a variance and the site plan approval by the department of city planning a lot of this it doesn't make sense to me oakmont and ability first wanted demolished so they can make the senior living center the conservancy did not want that they attended the hearings and provided testimony and written comments confirming the rehabilitation center is architecturally significant and has been identified as a potential historic resource the allied conservancy was all over it but uh, it might have been too late so i don't really know the status of it now i know that it's still up is eyewitness it? proof well, you witness, but I, I know what, I know what you mean. <laughs> Oakmont Senior Living Center, in its place of the uh, Lautner Building, was proposing 
building a two-story, nearly 85,000 square feet elder care facility. Now for the home stretch and the thing that's most upsetting about all of this. Yes. In some ways. Norms. <laughs> the character from Cheers? <laughs> the very inspiration. It was originally called George Wentz. <laughs> I would have went there. And the Space Needle was called Frasier's. <laughs> the first Norms location was opened in 1949 at Sunset and Vine, designed by the lady you were talking about who worked Talent with Armand Davis. So the guy who opened it, though, was Norman Roy Bark, across from where the Arclight now is. Roy Bark was a local boy who started out as a used car salesman on South Figueroa. Norms played the Googie game well and became a local success. They fully embraced the we never close way of thinking and they stayed open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, selling all meals, all times of the day. They had the opportunity to expand and become huge like Denny's did, Mm -hmm. but they decided that they would rather stay small and local. There are now 18 norms in Southern California, 12 of which are in LA. Which one's your favorite? Uh, The ones, the six that are outside of LA. (laughs) It's a tie. (laughs) I really like the one that's in orange. I love the one that's in Barstow. <laughs> the location I'm going to talk about in particular was open in 1957 at 470 North La Cienega. Okay. This place is the textbook definition of everything googie. It was designed by Armand Davis yet again. They made it to look like a giant airplane wing. Mm -hmm. They had an open kitchen, which was a new thing at the time. Roy Bark's car salesman sensibilities influenced him to want the place to look like a brightly lit showroom, but with people eating greasy eggs instead of shiny cars that they (laughs) eat. Even the giant sign in front is like one of the giant flags flapping in front of a car dealership. That sign was designed by Davis on a napkin in 1950. I want that napkin. I got it right here. Oh no, I took my lipstick off on it. <laughs> and then I spit my gum out on it and sneezed on it. <laughs> the sign is in the sawtooth style and it's in a shade of orange that the company calls Norm's Orange. Okay. The sign was designed with the Welcome to Las Vegas sign in mind. Okay. In the 70s with the downfall of Googie and the eco movement, the white lights behind the orange letters in the sign were turned off because they were wasteful and they were prone to moisture which made them damage really easily and they were expensive to fix but it didn't end there. The sign buzzed really loudly as you can hear in the commercials. <laughs> And in 1986, they got ordered to take the sign down, and they had till 1999. (laughs) But by then, people... You have till Y2K to take it down. If this thing isn't down by the end of the world... (laughs) Just give them to the end of the century. By that time, the people had grown fond of it, and it was allowed to stay. And soon after, new technology was put in to get the white lights going again more efficiently. They replaced all the signs with that... $40,000 $40,000 per sign oh. to yeah, That's a lot of... That's how much we paid for all this equipment. That's how much I paid for this haircut. <laughs> the La Cienega Norms is the oldest norm still standing, and it was even the subject of the Ed Rusha painting Norms La Cienega on fire in 1964. He's very good. The <laughs> interior has been redone over the years, but the outside is still the same as it was built. Now here's the problem. Hold on to your butts. My seatbelt. Danton, wait, please. Hang on to your butts as the star of Pulp Fiction, The Diner, says... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Norms was family owned for 65 years until last year, (laughs) late last year, like December. It was sold to a guy named Jim Ballas. Not Jim Ballas. (laughs) Jim Ballas again. (laughs) Ballas is based in Idaho and is in the business of boosting up chains and expanding them. He also owns Boston Market and Dunkin' Donuts. He's the one that brought Dunkin' Donuts here from the East Coast. His intention here is to give Norms the Dunkin' Donut treatment. (laughs) 
which we all hope to get someday. Yeah, I hope to get a low-grade makeover. <laughs> the dream, I guess, would be, I guess, to launch it into Denny status, which is what they had resisted for so many years. Yeah. So as soon as this guy bought Norms, people started to get worried that he would knock down the La Cienega location. So in December 2014, shortly after he bought it, the LA Conservancy suggested that the location should probably be nominated for consideration to become a historic cultural monument, just in case this guy attempts to do anything. Turns out, January 5th of this year, they file for a demolition permit. Uh. <laughs> to make things more complicated, though, it's Ballast that owns Norms itself, but a guy named Jason Elulian owns the actual land under the restaurant, okay. and he's the one that filed for the permit. Okay. So what he seems to want to do is add, like, underground parking and then turn the parking lot that's there into, like, a series of boutique stores. Oh. But getting rid of the parking lot defeats the whole original purpose of the design, which is to make it a place that's easily accessible by a car for the average person who doesn't want to have to pay to valet park yeah. their car, like, everywhere else in that area. Even though they have the permit, they say there's no immediate plans. What are you all worried about? They just want it in case they need to make changes. But they these sorts of changes certainly would require to tear down the building. In 2013, we already lost the Santa Monica norms at 1601 Lincoln Boulevard, which was there for 49 years. Is that gone? It's gone. Really? Yeah. It was sold to a Texas-based developer for $13.5 million. Was he wearing a 10-gallon <clears throat> hat when he bought it? A 10-gallon hat and a golden bolo. <laughs> and it's now being torn down for new apartments. Jesus. And old Denny's was also lost in that deal. So on March 19th, just a couple months ago, there was a gathering at the La Cienega Norms where the Los Angeles Cultural Heritage Commission was to vote on whether or not to recommend it for historic cultural monument status. In attendance was the creator of Mad Men, Matthew Wiener. <laughs> who cares very much about this era of history, obviously, and yeah. even he did a lot of his early planning for Mad Men at that norm. Really? The commission voted unanimously in favor of the recommendation, but the final decision now rests with the city council. So they have 90 days to approve it, and as of the recording now, there's no decision yet, so we don't know Boy. what's going to happen. But in the end, the decision really rests with the new owners. So it might be saved, the building, but it might not stay a norms. It could be turned into an Urban Outfitters, like the Rialto is downtown. Oh. God. So I know it's silly to romanticize these places and defend like Norms and Denny's. Yeah. But this is it's not about whether or not you like the food, which to be clear, we don't. But these places are part of the city's history. And yeah. LA already has a horrible track record preserving its landmarks. And it's even more of a shame to lose these places. And all that we get in return are just like a Whole Foods or an apartment building or a parking lot. It seems like all the things we really like have been becoming parking lots. Yeah. And that's really scary. Everything. My mom mom turned into a parking lot. I love parking there. Listen, don't ever park. <laughs> <laughs> That's really scary to think. Anything they try to do is going to be retro and not quite, and I'm not going to like yeah. it as much. No, as it's like, gonna, like the place in Echo Park. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's going it, to, it, it's still going to be called Norms. It's just yeah. $20 for an omelet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you only have a goat cheese option and it's $18 if you want to have <laughs> cheese on your eggs. We don't eat eggs here. There's a drought. <laughs> Bright Spot, that's the name. We don't like, I don't support the Bright Spot in Echo Park. Thank you. Or the Astro Diner. We ate there once. We did. I, I like to say that it's, uh, the feel of it is, it's always 10 minutes to closing, which is yeah. how they treat you. Googie is going out of style. <laughs> they've, they've got a lot on their minds. It was a lot of fun researching this because I was very interested in it. And yeah. not, I didn't really know what it was called or how to define it. And now we do. So I'm really happy that we did that. Let's give some credit where some credit is due to Melissa for originally suggesting Googie. Yes. And also to our research 
research department. The research department, aka Melissa, (laughs) and also to Eric, who separately suggested we do an episode on old coffee shops, so they kind of mixed together. He didn't know what he was saying. Melissa's the real architect here. She's the Arme and the Davis of my heart. We're both Highland Fong. (laughs) Both of us are W.C. Field. We we (laughs) died three years ago. Do you have anything else to say about Reagan Gothic? Oh, you mean Googie. You mean Boomerang (laughs) Modern. Yeah, you mean Googie. You mean that cartoon strip? Yeah, you mean Googie. Barney Google? <laughs> Barney Google face? It's definitely the look of LA that has yeah. it has never really shaken. Yeah, yeah. Any romanticized versions of LA <laughs> is going to have a Googie style. It's going to have an amoeba shape. It's going to have a fun font. Yeah. It's going to be something It's going to be a dingbat or two. Yeah, a dingbat or two. It's funny thinking about the cars really do define LA. Yeah. They rip it down and then they build it back exactly, up. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> the defining elements of LA are definitely going to be mobility and cars and the, and the distance we have to travel yeah we've made our bed now let's make it again because we're in the military and you got to do it until you get it right because they're gonna keep yelling at you <laughs> isn't that right shippy anyway isn't that right pan george pan <laughs> george Panopolopolis. <laughs> go on itunes leave us a review at the very least leave us a star rating it really helps yeah it, it helps our it boosts our ego yeah. so we have we know to come back it's next not month. just our ego we're in the something of a competition with some other podcasts oh it's been called has the it? gloves are off oh boy here it is <laughs> Finally, one of us declared war. Shots fired. Yeah, I dropped we- my microphone, but it's broken. <laughs> we already have bad sound quality. At the very least, a star rating. It really helps us out. Yeah, yeah. At the very, at the very, very least, like us on Facebook. Yeah, that'd be nice. Follow us on Twitter if you want. We post things that are pertinent to things that we have talked about. Yeah, or, or just anything that's certainly important. Yeah. We have a Tumblr page. Tumblr, a lot Meekly, of really good pictures. AliMeekly.tumblr.com, which we post. Uh, when we post episodes, we post photos and links that uh, correspond with everything. So yeah. we to keep up email us oh yes please la.meekly at gmail.com yeah any corrections listen we made fun of Bruno a lot he's the only one sending caring yeah. enough to send us emails yeah, and we, and we, we certainly appreciate it it really felt good yeah it it, we, nice. we appreciated it don't stop ideas for future episodes any comments yeah. or concerns any exactly. corrections we are happy to take we will yeah. Try not to make fun of you. If you think we have really cute voices. Yeah, if one of us sounds silky and the other one sounds like a real man, just let us know which one you think is which. Which one of us do you think is the real man here? If we're putting out a magazine and we only had one photo for the centerfold, who would you want? Would you want Daniel or would you want Greg? If you could pick one magazine for us to put the cover on, would it be GQ or Esquire? Anyway, that's that's been yet another episode of LA Meekly. I can't wait to see you guys again next month. Yeah, I love seeing all of you. Seeing all of you. Seeing Seeing all all of of you. you next month. (laughs) That has been LA Meekly. Open 24 hours since 2013. We're very tired. (laughs) Close down. (laughs) Foreclosed for rats in the soup. (laughs) Milo. (laughs) Milo.